And especially as, you know, this kind of moved on and watching my son and the turmoil he was in, I also just felt a whole lot of sadness. You know, as moms, our our main priority is to and as parents altogether is to protect our kids. And I and I did I did feel like I let him down. Um you know, that's just the reality of it. Those are the emotions I felt. Now, do I feel that way now? I feel very differently now. Yeah. But in that moment, it felt like I was a, I had failed. I had failed in protecting him. A 2021 nationally representative survey of U.S. teens shows 84.4% of males and 57% of females ages 14 through 18 have viewed porn. As porn becomes increasingly normalized in the digital age, education on its well-documented harms becomes increasingly important. Fight the New Drug's age-appropriate and engaging live presentations highlight research from respected academic institutions that demonstrate the significant impacts of porn consumption on individuals, relationships, and society. Request a Fight the New Drug live presentation for your school, business, or community event by visiting ftnd.org forward slash live. That's ftnd.org forward slash L-I-V-E. My name is Garrett Johnson, and you're listening to Consider Before Consuming, a podcast by Fight the New Drug. And in case you're new here, Fight the New Drug is a non-religious and non-legislative organization that exists to provide individuals the opportunity to make an informed decision regarding pornography by raising awareness on its harmful effects using only science, facts, and personal accounts. We want these conversations to be educational, uplifting, and hopeful as we sit down with experts, influencers, activists, and people with personal accounts. We cover a wide variety of topics that may be triggering to some. You can refer to the episode notes for a specific trigger warning. Listener discretion is advised. Today's episode is with Sally Alley. Like most moms, Sally did her best to protect her family, which includes her son Smith, from experiencing the harmful effects of pornography. She used filters, parental controls, and more. But Smith found a way around it. Smith's porn consumption escalated without Sally and her husband's knowledge. And by the time he was 11, he says that he was consuming porn five to seven times per day. During this conversation, we talk about how she finally learned of her son's unwanted porn consumption, how she felt when she first learned of his habit, and what she wants other parents to know to be able to help their children. With that being said, let's jump into the conversation. We hope you enjoy this episode of Consider Before Consuming. Sally, we want to say thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Hey, you bet. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Your story is is very, very unique. Well, maybe it's not unique. I don't know. What do you think? Is your story unique? Uh, I actually think it's very typical. Um, I, I hear from people all the time that it, I almost get taken back in time as they're telling me what's going on with their own their own child uh, because it feels so similar. The, right. you know, the feelings are similar, the emotions are similar, the experience is similar. Their child's emotions and reactions are similar. So yeah. I don't think it's that uncommon. 
That's true. Right when I said your experience is unique, then it, I like try to speak truth always. And right <laughs> when I said that, I was like, actually, I don't know if that's true <laughs> because it's more typical than we think. Yeah. I think the only thing that's unique is that um, I'm an open book and we speak very publicly about it. So I think that's more unique, but that also comes with time as well. So, Right. Well, I'm just wondering if we can kind of get to know you a little bit better get to know like what your day-to-day looks like. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm a mom of four, have four children. And uh, my now my oldest is uh, 25 and my youngest is 15. Three girls and one boy. I had two girls, then a boy, and then another girl. And um, for most of my parenting uh, life, my adult life, I have been a stay-at-home mom. Um, I've always had kind of a I don't know what to call it, a side gig, for lack of a better word. So Mm -hmm. I've always had something that I've done um, kind of on the side, whether it was uh, property management or I ran a catering business, um, you know, for friends and family, uh, things like that. I'm now a full-time real estate agent. But um, for the most part, I I was dedicated as a mom uh, to to raising my kids. So that was really where my efforts uh, have lied and, and my passion has lied. That's great. When I talked to your boy Smith, he mentioned how big of a role your family played in his healing and in his recovery. And so that's a really cool thing. Yeah, he and a lot of that is a credit to Smith because he allowed his family to play a a big role in that. So I credit a lot of that. He credits his family to that, but I really credit a lot of that to his willingness to allow people in as he um, was going through that. And yeah. and that was a slow process. You know, he told one person at a time. Um, he told his older sister that wasn't living at home at the time, that was living out of the area at the time. And I think that was a safe zone first and then slowly, slowly moved into those that were close around him that he was, you know, interacting with more regularly. His older sister was the first person that he opened up to about his unwanted porn consumption? No, no, actually, um, his dad and I found out prior to her knowing. But other than when we found out, uh, we just made it very clear that this was his story and that nobody would hear about this um, from us, that this was his time to tell others and to share as he wanted. But we did encourage him to lean on those that um, loved him and that would be around and support him because, you know, we we personally believe that you can't battle life challenges regardless of what they are. You can't uh, battle those very, um, very well alone. Right. It's like we're hardwired for connection and we shouldn't have to face anything alone. We need we need those that, like you said, we need to lean on those that love us. Yeah. Yeah, and and no one understand those that have you know we have healthy relationships with. I think that that is where we find healing is in that connection. Um, I know Smith mentions the quote a lot: "Addiction is grown in solitude and destroyed in community." And I believe that to be true wholeheartedly. You know, you know how sometimes you have a memory and you can. You don't just remember it in your mind, but you can remember the smell and the feel and the 
the sounds that were around you, you can remember it like that vividly, you know, like that's when I think things are really etched in, in our minds. And, and I feel that way about when I found, when I found out that, um, that Smith had a significant habit of consuming pornography. I remember, I remember the feeling uh, in my stomach. I remember the smell. I remember the feel of the tears on my face. And um, I, I remember after I found out, after he, we found out because of um, a, a claim that was made against him, actually, the, the police got involved. And we found out about that. Um, and then it just you know, by us telling him that, hey, we're your advocates and we need to know uh, all that you can tell us, that just kind of broke the Hoover Dam and um, he just came forward with with probably more information than I would have liked to have known, came forward with um, his consuming of pornography and what had been going on in his life. And for... Um, you know, I, I took a moment after after talking with him and kind of having this interaction. I had to take a moment for myself. And I remember going up to my room and I remember the feeling of the tears on my face. I remember the, how, how did this get through? How did I not see it? How has this been going on? Um, you know, what did I do wrong? what did I miss? How did I miss this? We, we raised our kids, um, in a home that was, you know, we discussed, um, pornography and the fact that it will be an issue and that it's not a matter of, of if it's a matter of when. And we, we were very open with that. We had several family friends that had been negatively impacted that had, we had one particular family friend that uh, moved in with us after his marriage broke up. Um, and was living with us uh, due to his pornography consumption and the things that that led to. He ended up living with us, and it, it, that was never a, a private um, matter. They, our kids knew what had happened, and um, so we had talked about this. I had filters. I, we had regular conversations about that. I felt like, you know, my kids didn't have cell phones. I mean, I was the I was the mean strict mom, right? That didn't have cell phones. We yeah. had they had purchased their own iPod Touch. And I, I felt like I had done what I could to, you know, keep my roof, what was happening under my roof, safe with filters and routers and um, restrictions, parental controls, all of those things. And I felt like I was very diligent. And when I realized that I what I had done hadn't been diligent enough, um, there was a lot of mom guilt. Yeah. I think that most parents can relate to that where it's like we we think that we have it in the bag, like this parenting thing, and then something like this happens or other situations, whatever it might be, and it brings us back to reality of like, oh, man, we still have a lot to learn as parents. But as you're describing this, you mentioned that you kept asking yourself, like, how did I miss this? Yeah. Do you label those questions that you were asking yourself and those sentiments that you had when you were asking, how did I miss this? What did I... What did I do wrong? Do you think that was guilt or do you think that was like shame talking? Well, I definitely think it's shame now because, um, you know, guilt, I think, is a motivator for change. And I think guilt can be a positive thing. 
uh, shame is where we just kind of dwell in um, in this pity or hole of what we did wrong, and there's no motivation changed. It kind of spirals downward, it feels like to me. Um, so I think it was definitely some shame, but also, also I think there was just a lot of, um, you know, I had had a lot of gut feelings and intuition. And there was some frustration with myself for not pushing harder on that, not knowing there was something off, but not pushing harder. And although I don't believe that there was anything that would have allowed maybe my particular son to come to me without having something that cracked the egg, Mm -hmm. um, I do believe that I could have pushed harder to maybe find out earlier. And especially as, you know, this kind of moved on and watching my son and the turmoil he was in, I also just felt a whole lot of sadness. You know, as moms, our our main priority is to, and as parents altogether, is to protect our kids. And I and I did I did feel like I let him down. Um, you know, that's just the reality of it. Those are the emotions I felt. Now, do I feel that way now? I feel very differently now. Yeah. But in that moment, it felt like I was a I had failed. I had failed in protecting him. I had failed in, um, you know, being one that he could come to. Although we had had all of these conversations, we had talked about how it will never be your fault, you know, crash and tell, you know, crash the computer and come tell an adult kind of thing, turn it off, tell an adult. We'd had all those conversations, but for some reason, I still wasn't a safe place. And that's just the reality of the emotions that happen, or at least that's what happened with me. Right. Um, and from talking with other parents, it sounds like it's, again, pretty typical. Yeah. I have empathy for both sides because both sides are facing something that's kind of unprecedented. Um, and what I mean by that is because of the ease of access to technology, the the youth, today's youth, have to navigate this new porn landscape for the first time. Like they're the first part of the first generation ever. In the mm-hmm. history of the world, having to nav- navigate this, but also that means that their parents, you and I, as parents, we also have to navigate this uh, for the first time ever in history, and we don't know exactly how to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a challenge for sure. And you know, I thought I was doing it fairly well. I was putting in all of the effort, that's for sure, and I was doing all of the things that I knew how to do. You know, now I know better, and so I do better. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but that's, you that's don't know what you you don't know what you don't know, yeah. and I just I just didn't know. Well, it reminds me of those four words that oftentimes we don't want to hear, which is we need to talk, right? Those four words are kind of what led to you discovering this about your boy, like what he was going through. And I just want to acknowledge those four words, like we need to talk. In your case, it was because, like you said, there was a claim against him. And so it kind of like, it was a rock bottom moment, which opened him up. But there's benefits to that. Although those words, we need to talk, or there's those rock bottom moments are like terrifying. They can also be liberating. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
For sure. And and I think sometimes we need to add, I think that we need to talk should be expanded, um, at least for parents coming from a parent perspective. And as I've thought about how I could have um, maybe been more of a safe space and what would have made uh, Smith talk to me. And as we speak now to other youth that say, I just don't know how to tell my parents, you know, how do I go talk to my parents? I think if we said, I need to, we need to talk, and this is what I need from you. I I think those words would do both sides of the conversation a world of good. Mm. Um, Yeah, because it's teaching kids, like, the emotions that we feel, and this isn't just kids, this is all human beings. Like, one of the, the goals in life, which is very challenging, is to be able to, like, identify and articulate emotions that we feel. And then, like, make them mentionable and make them manageable. Mm-hmm. Like, so I think that you're right when you say that um, a young person going to their caregiver, to their parent, says, this is what I need from you. That shows a lot of maturity on the kid's part. And, like, it it equips the parent to act a little bit. Yeah, and I think, you know, we talk we talk a lot about how parents can set up safe zones, or Smith calls them no-trouble bubbles, which was coined by his, <laughs> his friend Colin Karchner, the late Colin Karchner. But, you know, it's easy to say, hey, parents, set up a no-trouble bubble where your kids can come and talk to you, and they know that um, anything they say to you will be will be responded to in in just a matter of I love you, thanks for sharing, I love you. Um, how can I help support you? And then the consequences come the next day. That's a great solution and a great tool to use. However, what if you live in a house where a no trouble bubble hasn't been set up? Yeah. And I think as um, I don't want to say children because that makes them sound so young, but I think as um, like young uh, a young person, you also have to have grace enough for your parents or, you know, give them room to know that they've never experienced this either. They've never, they've never had a a situation where maybe their child has, or that particular child, there's going to always be a first time where they haven't had that particular child come to them with something that's heavy hearted, Mm -hmm. that's serious, that needs help, that need maybe professional help. Um, so I think being able to open that conversation with, Hey, mom, dad, aunt or uncle or grandma, or whoever I'm wanting to confide in, I, we need to talk. And this is what I need from you. I'm going to talk about some serious things that are hard for me to discuss. And so I don't really want you to respond tonight. I, I need to know that you love and support me. And I'd love to come back tomorrow after yeah. we talk about this and we both have time to process how we can move forward. Yeah. I think having that as a opening statement, all of a sudden, then your parent comes from a place of compassion as opposed to defense and fear and guilt and shame that I was talking about. And instead of them reacting in a manner that is defensive because of those feelings, they're able to react in a compassionate manner and just kind of take it in and then figure out the best way they can then respond. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing. And I'm definitely going to incorporate the no trouble bubble into my parenting style. 
it works great. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I think it works great for the parent because you already have your script. You don't have to worry about what am I going to say. Yeah. And the kids know what to expect, you yeah. know. I want to hear your opinion on this, but like as a parent, one thing that I've found is that when I share my challenges or my shortcomings or pitfalls or mistakes with my kids, it's such a powerful thing because it encourages them to be more open with me. Yeah, I would 100% agree with that. And um, I think that was one thing we probably didn't do as well. Um, You know, my husband is a recovered alcoholic. And I know Smith has mentioned several times that even just the days he comes home from work, and he says, you know, today is one of those days that I, I would just really want to drink. And after today, and Smith has mentioned that just having that and hearing that makes him think, Oh, yeah, he's in the fight, too, right? Mm-hmm. He's He has tough days, too. He has those thoughts that go through his mind as well. And communicating that, I think, is really helpful to any of us, yeah. which um, I think is one reason I have a lot of parents that reach out to me, because they want to hear from somebody that's been there and that's maybe on the other side and can see the hope. And I think we all want to know we're in this battle together. It's the same connection, right, thing? It's that theme is so consistent through all of these challenges that that we face in the world. Yeah. Well, it's pretty cool that your husband is able to open up with Smith about his challenge with alcoholism because it's really, it's similar. Not that they're the exact same thing, but it sounds like your husband would turn to alcohol for escapism. And Mm -hmm. it seems like oftentimes that's the reason why people turn to pornography is for escapism. If you've enjoyed listening to Consider Before Consuming, consider making a one-time or recurring donation to support the podcast. Your contribution, whatever the amount, helps support our efforts to educate individuals on the impacts of pornography. Help keep this podcast going by donating to Consider Before Consuming today at ftnd.org forward slash support. That's ftnd.org forward slash support. Yeah, absolutely. It's just a numbing agent, right? Some of us use alcohol. Some of us use pornography. Sometimes people use even things that are great, like exercise. I mean, sometimes it's even just an overconsumption of anything is can lead to challenges and interfere with your personal yeah. relationships. Well, it seems like you're a person who is really aware of the harmful effects of pornography, even before you've walked with Smith through this. But I'm wondering if looking back, if you can identify any misconceptions about, like misconceptions that you held about what it means to have a challenge with pornography. Um, you know, I think before... I mean, I I do think I was pretty well educated in in pornography um, because of our friend experiences and and just our life experiences that had opened our eyes to that. But I I do think I was a little bit less aware of the emotion that comes with someone that is com- consuming pornography regularly. Um, and, and I can only say that because I watched my son go from a, you know, bright eyed, uh, outgoing, positive person to somebody that was oftentimes belligerent and combative and, 
contrary, uh, just for the sake of being such. And so I think I was a little bit less, and, and then definitely once he kind of came clean with everything that was going on and all of the emotion that had been bottled up for so long once that came to the surface, I was unaware of the emotion that goes on with those that are are struggling with that. Once you had this conversation with Smith about his porn consumption and you started to address it together, did you notice that working? And what I mean by that working, you mentioned that like you noticed there was a shift in his personality. Oh, yeah. And I'm just wondering if like, you know, that famous coined phrase that says name it to tame it. Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering if that, if you experienced that or if, if Smith experienced that once he named it and labeled it and identified like what was happening and why he felt this way, did it help him? Yeah, we definitely saw a significant uh, change in just his being yeah. <laughs> within a couple of weeks. Wow. Um and it wasn't just us, you know, my husband and I during that time were the only ones that were aware of what was going on. But even his sisters that weren't aware at the time, um, they mentioned how, you know, he seems better. He seems happier. He seems, yeah. man, I'm getting along with him better. <laughs> you know, he's wow. not making any of those sarcastic mean comments or those kinds of things. So, yeah, definitely saw some significant improvement. Um in in that once we once we called it out once we knew what it was and i and i talk a lot about this with again parents that call me and i i when they call and they're usually in that in that moment that i described that i can remember so vividly and uh, the feelings of that and when it's just first comes to your awareness and i talk with them a lot on that oftentimes even in that evening um <clears throat> and um, I say, I know this feels like the worst day, but it's really the best day. And the reason is that now you know. Now you know what it is. There, We can find community. We can find support. We can find tools and resources and education and, you know, therapies and modalities, all these things that we can help support our child where we couldn't before. Um you know, it's a diabetic not knowing that they need insulin. Yeah. It's it's any of these number of things. How do you treat something or support something or, you know, it's the love languages. It's knowing how people need to be loved and, and supported. And how can you know how to fight something you don't know exists? Right. So I definitely think that's a huge benefit. Yeah. Well, you're talking about how you're kind of acting like this light at the end of the tunnel for other parents within your circles. Like would they call you feeling hopeless and then you are that light at the end of the tunnel for them. I'm just wondering like at what point did you start to see a light at the end of your tunnel that you were walking with Smith? Oh, it was long and it was slow. Um, you know, Smith was young when when we found out, and so he hadn't had, you know, decades of porn consumption, and I think that definitely makes a difference in how quickly the recovery is. And it's not lost on me that this is an ongoing battle, 
and that this is a roller coaster. Um, you know, this is not a sprint. It's a marathon for sure. And there's ups and downs and there's good days and there's bad days. However, um, probably it was when Smith started really helping others that there was really a huge change in him. It was when he saw that he had friends that once they knew he was struggling and they started wanting to, um, you know, join the club for yeah. <laughs> lack of a better term. Um, that was when there was really a difference in his uh, mentality and, and just his uh, attitude of, wow. um, you know, I saw, I started seeing a difference right away in just his personality and kind of knowing that he wasn't carrying around this, this bag of rocks anymore by himself. But, yeah. but we really saw the hope um, and what life could look like um, in the fight about, I, be, I bet it was nine months, maybe almost a year into it, into his recovery. That's when you first started to see a light at the end of the tunnel? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I first saw a light a couple of weeks in when okay. I started finding community. And I started, um, you know, finding out more about recovery and talking to other people that had that were on the other side. That's when I started seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. But when I really felt like I came out of the tunnel and saw the full ability and what this, what life really could look like when I really saw the full picture, it was probably nine months into it. Maybe, maybe even as much as a year. It's long and it's slow. And there's, there's, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of processing of all of those emotions and all of those um, habits and locking back down your house and feeling like you have control again. And, and feeling safe and, and never feeling safe, right? Getting used mm -hmm. to that getting used to that knowledge that it's never going to be enough. Um, but that doesn't mean we can't do a lot. What do you mean that it's never going to be enough? I mean that in this day and age, I think technology is working over time, that we are talking about a multi-billion dollar industry that is doing all it can to feed pornography into as young as minds as possible. And um, there's always a way, there's a way around every wet router, there's a way around every parental control, there's a way around every, um, you know, every rule, household rule, there's just a way around everything. Yeah. So thinking that you can, you know, build a moat and keep it out is mm. just, it's, it's ignorant. Okay, yeah. And... I think you have to get used to that feeling. I think you have to get used to knowing that there are there are holes, that there are ways, and you have to feel comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. And you have to have other systems in place to combat that. And that's, I think, over the first several months, that's a challenge because you feel like, oh my goodness, here's another thing. You know, here's another way. Mm -hmm. Man, they were actually accessing it this way too, or sheesh, I didn't know that you could, <laughs> you know, there's just so many things yeah. um, that we just can't protect our kids anymore from ever being exposed or ever having it yeah. come across their eyes, their ears. It just, it's impossible. Yeah. But 
that doesn't mean that our efforts shouldn't be just as diligent. And we just need to add an additional layer of protection, which is open conversation and connection. And that takes a little bit more work and some time and trust and experience. And Yeah. As you were talking about the catharsis that you experienced by connecting with other communities or um, the catharsis that Smith experienced by opening up to his his buddies and whatnot. I can't help but think about the 12-step program. I've never participated in this, the 12-step program, but from what I understand, the 12th step is help someone else. Mm-hmm. And I think there's so much power in that. I have heard it said that if you can get to the 12th step and you can experience that, that's where the majority of people stay in recovery mm. as opposed to relapsing. Mm. Um, I have heard several people that have gone through uh, AA and even many, many therapists that have expressed that same thing. If you can experience the magic of the 12th step, mm. that's when they see the most success in recovery. Well, I'm wondering if you have any advice for young listeners who are scared to open up about their porn consumption with their parents or caregivers. And we kind of already talked to this regarding like the no trouble bubble. Mm -hmm. Do you have any other advice for those listeners? Well, I can speak to my own experience is really all I know. But I also have experience of uh, sitting with dozens and dozens of other parents. And like I said, the emotions are the same. The Oftentimes the reactions are different, but the emotions, the thoughts, the um, are all the same. And so I would say that um, allow them the opportunity to fail in a reaction and, and set them up and you up for success. And I think a, a good way you could do that is, you know, maybe it's not that you tell your parents first. Maybe it's that you tell someone else. Smith talks a lot about that. Just if you're feeling like this is kind of a secret, just tell anyone. It can be, it can be, you know, Smith talks about his experience. I don't know if he shared this on the podcast, but the first person he told about his pornography consumption was a stranger. While he was working at Chick-fil-A as a cashier, somebody walked up with a with a Porn Kills Love shirt on mm-hmm. from Fight the New Drug, and he just said to the to the customer, hey, I appreciate you wearing that today. I've, I've had my own battles, and, and I really appreciate that you are um, wearing that message. Thanks for doing that. And he said just his experience in that moment speaking to a complete stranger that he never would see again um, just felt like a weight lifted. And so maybe start small or write it down. You don't have to look them in the eyes. You don't have to tell them all of it at once. You can say, you know, I need to tell you something. I know it's really hard for me to talk about this. So I'm going to send you a text Mm -hmm. or... Um, I have a friend whose son left her a, a note on her nightstand and said, you know, she she went up to bed to get into bed and there was a note on her nightstand from her son that said, 
I don't know how to tell you this, but I need help. Yeah. And just open that door just a little bit so that you can allow them in because I have yet to find a parent that wants their child to suffer alone in silence. Yeah. I just don't know that they exist. Right. And I know that can be hard to trust. And I know that it can especially be hard to trust when we as parents react poorly. Mm-hmm. We're going to um, know where those reactions come from. And then give us another chance if we have not done well. Um, we you all- know, maybe that's, maybe that's just leaving some information uh, about about pornography and saying, hey, can we talk mm-hmm. to your parents? It doesn't have to be a, a typical, what we see as a traditional conversation, you know? It can look any way you want, any way you feel comfortable with it, but, you know, and that may mean you give a little bit of information. That may mean that it's not a conversation, and that's okay. Yeah. But trust that they want you to not suffer in silence, that they may not react perfectly, that they may not know resources right away, mm-hmm. but that they're, they're your teammate and they're your advocate. And most parents I know will fight harder than anyone else you can find. There's nobody better to be on your team than your guardian or caregiver. Yeah. Yeah, that's... That's a beautiful thing. As you were talking, there were several times that I got the chills a little bit. Like when you, especially when you're, talk, when you're talking about connection and the catharsis and the healing that can come through connection. Mm. There's been several times that I get the chills of like, oh my goodness, that's that's the answer. Mm. Yeah, I I can tell you, I've had several uh, dear lifelong friends made just through the connection of our struggle. Mm-hmm. and our efforts in trying to help those around us heal and heal ourselves. And there's, yeah, there's a lot of beauty in in the human connection. Yeah. Even, even through very difficult, dark times, I believe that that happens. Yeah. Now, I'm also curious if you can address this for more of like the parents or caregivers that are listening And you've kind of talked to this a little bit, but I'm wondering if you can elaborate on it. What are some of the benefits that you've experienced because you've addressed this issue with your child? Like, do you, do you and Smith feel closer today because you've addressed this together? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I feel like I'm much more of a better equipped support to him because of this. Um, even in things that we don't have to discuss, uh, you know, Smith talks about um, when he's struggling or when he's having a hard time, he'll come up to our room and he calls it the Smith special. He'll lay on our bed. And sometimes <laughs> it's late at night when, to be honest, I just want to be in bed. Yeah. And um, he'll come up and just kind of sit there and not really talk that much. But there's not even a whole lot of talking that has to go on all the time. But we know, hey, he's he's having a hard time. He's struggling with, with what he wants to be doing as opposed to what he thinks he should be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> you know, he has, he's feeling some, some triggers, some stress, some anxiety, maybe some sleep deprivation. <laughs> he's a teenager, yeah. <laughs> all of those things. And so 
just being aware because he has opened up about his experience being aware that instead of me saying, Hey, go to bed, you know, I, yeah. I gotta go, to, I gotta be to work tomorrow. Yeah. Instead of that kind of a reaction, I'm able to say, tell me, how's your day? What are you looking forward to tomorrow? And, and make it kind of a, a place, a space where he can feel safe, even if we're not talking about, you know, the, the struggle with, um, whatever's going on in his mind or yeah. in his heart. Mm-hmm. Um, the, other, the other thing that has really become for us a benefit is I'm able to support where I am best utilized, which is he doesn't talk to me about um, if he has a relapse or if he, um, you know, messes up or slips up, as he calls it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where he uses his support group. He uses them to talk about that. But he will come to me and say, hey, mom, there's this hole here. Can I get some support and help in figuring out how we can tighten down restrictions? I, you know, I'm feeling weak here. Or, you know, I'm feeling like I can handle more internet uh, ability mm-hmm. on our third-party app. Yeah. You know, can we give me a couple hours a day of whatever that is, right? I'm feeling like I can handle it. So those kinds of conversations where if we hadn't gone through this, I just wouldn't feel the same. I wouldn't feel like I was being the support system that I feel like I am now. And a lot of that is because I've learned where I can support and where I can't, Mm -hmm. where I do belong and fit in and where I don't. Okay. And accepting that. I love that. As the conversation comes to an end, we do want to leave you with the opportunity to have the last word during this conversation. Is there anything that has been left unsaid that you'd like to mention before we end? Um, I think the main thought in all of this is that there is a lot of hope and we have seen a lot of success in, in our personal experience and in, in Smith's recovery. However, that's not it's not the end of the story, and we know that. And I think there is beauty that's found in the battle. Well, Sally, I said it already, but I'm going to say it again. Thank you for everything. Thanks for putting in the work day in and day out for years now, and thanks for being here today with us. Oh, it was my pleasure. We love the work that, that you're doing, and, and we love the community that you're building. Did you know the majority of young people are exposed to porn by the time they're 13 years old? Get more fast facts about the impacts of pornography and exploitation at ftnd.org forward slash fast facts. That's ftnd.org forward slash fast facts. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Consider Before Consuming. Consider Before Consuming is brought to you by Fight the New Drug. Fight the New Drug is a non-religious and non-legislative organization that exists to provide individuals the opportunity to make an informed decision regarding pornography by raising awareness on its harmful effects using only science, facts, and personal accounts. If you'd like to learn more about today's guest and the conversation we had, you can check out the links included with this episode. If you've enjoyed listening to Consider Before Consuming, consider subscribing and leaving a review. Again, big thanks to you for listening to this conversation. As you go about your day, we invite you to increase your self-awareness, look both ways, check your blind spots, and consider before consuming.